You're listening to Lewis Stevens on Epsom Hospital Radio. Epsom Hospital Radio. Hello, welcome. I'm going to start off gently in your ear on this episode. Um, I'm Lewis. This is the Why Aren't You Normal Epsom podcast. A community-based podcast for Epsom Town. And we've been getting asked recently... I've been getting asked recently, why Why aren't you normal? Why did you choose the name, why aren't you normal? Popped up a few times, so I thought I'd address it again this episode. You know, when you step outside and you see society, you see the outside version of everything. The, the, the version of society we have to exist on in order for everyone to get by in their day-to-day lives. You, you know, you act, you act normal. And, you know, you might just do things just, just for the ease of everybody else. That base level when you look outside, that's that's what I would call normality. That's that's normal. But if you was just to see on that base level, could that be a reason why we're all getting a bit depressed as a society, as a whole? Is mental health rising? Do we do we see things? Are we not practicing as a society seeing things deeper than is currently perceived? And are some people seeing beyond that? And not really feeling like anyone else understands them, causing a bit of confusion maybe, or like they're different and they don't want to quite let on that they're different to sort of fit in with this idea of normality. Don't know, just a theory, but that base level of normality, let's look at below that. Why why aren't you that base thing? What is it about you that's individual? And what is it about you that's unique? Whether you're a person, whether you're a shop, whether it's an idea, a business you know what's unique and what is below that why do you do what you do and if we trained to look more into that you know and and be more aware and be more understanding of our surroundings would it would it start to solve would it help us see the world with such depth and you know beauty that we wouldn't be so caught up in our own self in our own day-to-day lives how we look if we were funny when we said that joke last night did the whatsapp group like what i just said is my instagram picture going to get a look enough likes do you know what i mean i'll keep working on this concept the more you keep returning um yeah and let's try and keep making this podcast grow thanks for joining me thanks for coming back if you're here thanks for watching the live streams we're on about 43 44 live streams by now and it's looking good. I've had a blip, I think, as everyone does with lockdown. I haven't posted for a few weeks. Things get on top of you. But belief, I think belief triggers the power to go. You have to start with that seed of belief. And if I promise you something now, if you're listening and you're in a you're in a rut, or even if you're not, if I start believing right now that I can do do something good, then you have to do that as well. You just even if you're not doing anything you do right now, before you do anything, you have to believe. So if you start believing right now, I'll start believing right now. And then we'll see where it goes. Check in with me next week and I'll let you know how it's going and you can let me know. I mean, you can just say it out loud to yourself or if you really want to let me know, get in touch with me and let me know. Uh, We've got Alex Coley this week who's a local councillor from the Epsom Borough Council. So much information I didn't even realise. You know, he's from the Residents Association. We work on a completely different system in this town in this borough where we work on the, something called the committee system which Alex will explain better than I can but we basically we don't we don't we don't get told what to do around here no one, no one tells us well you know within reason but we we sort of take things into our own hands we don't elect we haven't elected in in 80 years or so sort of one of your mainstream parties in we we we, we elect residents association people from the area to represent the local ongoings and yeah, it's a fascinating conversation for me and I'm, I'm, and it really is clear cut and Alex is really good. And we even go in a bit later on to all sorts of stuff, sci-fi and crazy theories, conspiracies. You're in for a ride. So enjoy this one. I'll crack on. Remember, Wayne Music, you've got local bands and musicians coming at you every episode to express themselves in another version of expressing you're not normal, audibly, but with music and sound and beats and rhythm. Right, we're going to move on now. Let's get right into the episode. And I'll speak to you at some point during this, I'm sure. Why aren't you normal, Epsom? You're listening to Wayne with Lewis Stevens on Epsom Hospital Radio. 
So I took a walk down the high street a second ago to go to Metro Bank, which is now closed on the weekends, which I didn't know after checking their Google account. And I was reminded of a comment that you made when we had a discussion on the phone the other day. And you said walking down the high street is like augmented reality for you. And I thought that was a really interesting (laughs) comment because I was taking note of the... um, people working on the potholes on the high street. I was taking note of the market, the way where the, the bikes get locked, lampposts. And um, and I thought for someone like yourself, who's aware of the sort of ongoings of the wells, it must be quite strange and existential. Um, is, is, that, is that sort of, uh, can yeah. you explain that comment to me? Yeah, so I suppose when you're not involved in uh, local government in any way, then it's all something that other people do. You know, it's something that someone else is is looking after. Um, but when you do get involved in it yourself, then it's something that you discover um, everybody wants to talk to you about. So, as you said, you walk down the street and it could be potholes, it could be litter, it could be um, who's that group of people hanging around on that corner, what are they doing? And it also that, that all sound, it can sound really sort of curtain twitchy. But you, if you are, I suppose it's like if you play a video game a lot and you start, that sort of starts creeping its way into your consciousness. You know, you start thinking things that you would think when you're in a video game. It's a bit like that when I say augmented reality. Because an email you might have yeah. received or a phone call you've had or a meeting you've been to will suddenly sort of insert itself into your head because of something that you've seen. And you'll be thinking, I have to go back to that person and tell them what we did about that. And if you're seeing that problem is still there or that it's been dealt with, you're automatically sort of remembering and re- recording that to, you know, like a snippet that you'll put into something later and go, actually, that thing you told me about, I was walking down that road yesterday and they have solved it, which is great. Or I saw this and I need to follow up. And that, that's what it becomes like in a way. Yeah, I, I saw, you know, and I do, I, I saw uh, as, as Facebook posts do tend to go in the local area, a complaint got made about a local pothole and um, everybody was jumping on with pictures of their local potholes. And But then somebody replied with an email saying, I complained about this pothole. And then I got an email back fairly sharpish saying that, um, oh, this gets dealt with within X amount of days once once the complaint goes in. And then I saw walking down the high street there just like a load of guys working on them so you know um it's that what's the relationship between how people view the council in your opinion on social media and uh and, and actually what goes on in terms of the, so the inner a, workings i mean i think famously in this country there is a big disconnect between um politics and people so it's it's very very it's very kind of the establishment and um one of the greatest frustrations once you get into when, if you get elected as a borough councillor, is how much people don't know about how things work. And of course, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know how things worked. <laughs> I wanted to, and I got involved, and here I am. But um, when you see complaints about stuff, and you know that that that's not the borough council, that's the county council, or that is a that is an act of parliament that, that we are compelled to follow. We don't get to do the things the way that you want to do them. It's the law, and we have to do it like that. So all sorts of things like that where it is frustrating that we don't have more democratic participation. And I think for most people, democratic participation is voting in an election. It's not citizenship. So now at school, my kids, they have citizenship classes about being a good citizen and what that means. And we never had that when I was a kid. And so there are generations of people that just don't understand how government works. Not from their own fault. They just, why would they? And I have to spend a lot of time explaining how it does. And so, for example, one of the... One of the favourite comebacks is I pay your wages. <laughs> you get that. Any elected <laughs> person will get that, right? And then I, I, so I looked into this because there's there's not many good answers to that because it, it can go in a number of bad directions if you reply to that sort of comment. So I thought, what do you? How do you explain to people how it works? So I had a look at what councillors' allowances are, and they're about three thousand seven hundred pounds a year. I just and looked, so I thought, yeah, I wonder how that compares to the job seekers' allowance. So I worked it out per week, and it's less than job seekers' allowance. So it would be so in terms of, <laughs> you know, what I what I get out of this financially, it would be better value for me to go on the dole than it would be for me to be a council. And so I post a link to what JSA is right now and say, well, this is what you get on the dole, and this is what we get. And so I'll let you decide if you think that I'm in it for the money. 
And then, so on that on that sort of conversation, you you said that you wanted to get into it just to understand more. Um, how, what was that process like? Did you have did you attend meetings or did you have to do you, do you have to run? I mean, I'm gonna really talk to you as a layman here on how on how the council works because I, I I generally don't have much. Yeah, so I, I've always been interested in politics. Anyway, I was a civil servant for a bit um, because I was fascinated by it. My grandma was a civil servant for forty years. She worked with, she made a passport for Winston Churchill when she worked in the passport office. She worked with the deputy <laughs> prime minister when there was a Labour government in the 60s. She had the highest level of top secret clearance. There were two above top secret, but only NATO still uses them. And she did all of this really exciting stuff that she didn't really talk about very much. And it would come out at sort of family gatherings after a few drinks. And that, when you're growing up, that can be have quite an impact on you. It's- so I wanted to be involved with government and um, I had to go out of the civil service, very quickly got made redundant because that was the way it was going at the time, um, but still was interested. But I couldn't choose I couldn't choose a party. So I'm not particularly political in terms of party politics, but I wanted to be involved. And I, I grew up um, in Driftbridge, so just basically on the boundary of Epsom and Yule and Rygate and Banstead. And um, so, you know, I used to come to Epsom a lot. But didn't really know that the politics here are totally different from everywhere else pretty much in the country. So we've always had an independent council since 1937 when the council was founded. So um, we have what's called residence associations. And if you go anywhere else in the country, particularly in the cities, um, you'll find residence associations and they are just residents who get together to well complain or to make things better or to do community engagement. And they want there'll be a problem. And it'll come to the residents association and they'll go to the council and say, you know, we're an organised group of residents and we want you to do something about it. So we're a bit unusual in Epsom and Newell in that, I know we mentioned this before, um, back in the 1920s and 30s, far more independent people stood for parliament and for local government. So it was actually quite common for independents to be um, elected and not so much now. And... Um, so there were residence associations in Epsom and Yule, largely formed by people who'd moved out of London. So when they sort of cleared all the, all the parts of London where there was high-density housing from the sort of Victorian era, lots of people moved out to Surrey and, and everywhere else. But, of course, the first stop out of um, London is Epsom and Yule or Sutton and Merton. But for some reason, Epsom and Yule, the residence associations that were founded when those people moved out because they wanted, they wanted a social life. Nobody knew each other because they always moved out to a new estate. And they'd have, you know, socials, dances, that sort of thing. Uh, but they also formed committees to try and improve their area. So I think the example I used for you is Green Lanes, which is, if you like, just off of your West Station, uh, off Chessington Road and your West Station. All the trees planted down there were planted by residents associations. They got money together themselves, yes, yeah. bought the saplings, planted them alongside of the river. Um, and that's just one example of... Again, when, you, when I look around, I see different. I see things that people might not know about. I see things that are a, a legacy of the, the thing that I've become involved with. So I got involved in my residence association yeah. um, about litter. I didn't like the litter that was happening on Chessington Road, and um, and I wanted to be involved with sort of politics somehow. And I got recruited at a police and crime commissioners panel where I was having a go at someone about a problem quite loudly. And someone came up to me afterwards and said, oh, why don't you come over and go at us then at our residence association meeting? You seem like you're really into this sort of stuff. And I, that's how I got involved. Yeah. Um, and I managed to get, still probably, I, I feel like I almost got more done before as a councillor. I managed to get litter bins at, bin, uh, litter bins at, um, at bus stops down Chessington Road. So, because I noticed that okay. there's like five different schools, you five different school uniforms on the bus. And all these kids, there's no way to put their litter. Yeah. And you can't say to a teenager, stick it in your pocket, they're not going to do it. So I said, why don't you put the litter bins at the bus stops? Because then there's no excuse and there's something for people to use. And that was a that was the first sort of victory. Um, and then I, there was a by-election. Someone moved away in 2018. And uh, I said, I'll do it. I, I want to run. And um, so over a February, very wet February bank holiday, I went knocking on doors in pouring rain. And um, I got elected.
did do the knocking on the doors in the point rain because I read the Jeffrey Archer books I don't know if you've ever read those where uh where he he covers politicians and they go knocking door to doors and they're buying half pints for locals in the pubs to try and win their uh affection and things uh I didn't know that's yeah that obviously still goes well, I on someone a drink to vote for me but I've knocked on yeah. their door yeah yeah well what do you do you think that because we have become more connected uh nationally and you can hear the opinions of everybody and the national leaders so quickly that that's the reason community like local community politics has kind of lost its like its edge a little bit well so you that's a really good point 20th century is all about mass communication right it's all about mass media so in the 20s not so much but now it is all about newspaper tv radio internet social really and they're very different beasts each of those four things but if you want to get Apart from social media, which still has you know owned and paid elements to it, um, yeah. apart from that, you have to have money. You have to have money. You know, you have to be able to get in front of people. You have to have powerful friends if you want to get on those channels and those platforms uh, regularly, and you, to be able to give your message, not the message that someone else wants you to give. And you know, small local independent community politicians like me don't have the money and the power to just go right. Well, we're just going to leaflet every house in the borough. Uh, tomorrow and then another one next week. I haven't got the money. I haven't got cash like that. Yeah. Um, and I don't have friends who are newspaper editors or, you know, own TV channels or a friend of a friend who might be able to get me, you know, on a TV. I don't have any of those things. Yeah. So we really depend actually a lot on face-to-face and social media. But the funny thing is face-to-face, of course, is is the preferred, right? Because you actually you can stand in front of someone and, and explain yourself. Whereas social media has become a, a bit of a strange one, really, um, because it can be quite febrile, it can be quite a nasty and toxic environment because people will jump and pile in and have a go and get personal and then start saying things about you when you're not there. And it can be a massive drain of resources because you're constantly having to watch what's happening yeah. and then be just extremely careful whatever you say and do. <clears throat> but those are the, the, the channels, if you like, that are now more open. So I think it's interesting that we're seeing more independents getting elected now than we have for about 75 years. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's a combination of people being a bit fed up with the parties. I, I, mean, I would say that. But, you know, there's, there's been a few things in the last 10 years 
<clears throat> austerity, Brexit, coronavirus, where people don't feel that the government's done a good job. Um, and that, you know, even the opposition, I don't think, have done a good job and that they, you know, they should, should have done more. So it, to me, it feels as though people are a bit fed up. They're looking around. They don't yeah. feel the same automatic affiliation with, you know, the, the, the blue, the red and the gold. Um, and they, well, they, wanna, they want someone who says, I will represent you where you live. And I live here too. And I, I experience the same things that you do. I'm yeah. not being parachuted in from somewhere else because I'm on a party list. And equally, I think that it's this mistrust of power that is maybe causing um, conspiracy theorists to sort of rise up because anything that the government may say or power may say, automatically there is just a, no, 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 we don't believe you anymore. Like what we're sort of experiencing with coronavirus now. And I almost think you can't really blame people. You know, there, there, was, a, there was a big issue within the black community about taking the vaccine because apparently in history, um, the vaccines had been tested on black people because it was um, before it was tested on white people. So and historically, this goes around in, in communities and forums and that, that we well, this has happened to us before. So why should we trust what you're trying to give to us now? Yeah, yeah I think there's, there's a problem with mistrust. There's a problem with um, not being open and engaged. There's also, and this happened, this is true of not just where we live, but of any council pretty much around the country, that they're not representative always of the people that live in the area. And, and it's another question, isn't it? So councillors typically tend to be older, male and white. Yeah. And there's, there's largely a reason for that, because to be under, well, to be not retired and to be a councillor is a lot of work. Because you're trying, effectively, you're doing. You can be. You can find yourself doing two full-time jobs. Um, and I also think there's a cultural thing there of um, who people vote for, what people see as being. It's, it's like an old, old adage of that's where that's how we've always done it. You know that attitude of that's what it's like. That that's so you, people kind of perpetuate the same stuff. So yeah, there does need to be better representation of women in councils and people from an ethnic heritage that isn't white, basically. Yeah, yeah. I had a live stream with a local lady the other day from called Dawley Designs, and she'd set up um, something to do with diversity within her industry. She was an interior designer, and um, basically last year they recognised that they needed to be more inclusive uh, with with the sort of ethnic and socio low socioeconomic uh, backgrounds within. They they found that they were getting so far in the interview process when they were applying, they'd have the same qualifications, but something was happening towards the end where they were getting right close to the job, where it would drop off. And they basically realized, again, it was nepotism and it was friends in high places, as you said, with the TV, or they might have gone to the right school. And it, I think it takes, like, I don't know, is it more of like a, a pledge to, to try and include? Because I don't know the, the sort of response that you might get is surely the best person would just get the job every time but then i don't think that's always the case is it with councils as well well i mean the problem is it's very subjective what people think is best yeah and that there's been proven in america that if you've got a name which is associated with being african-american then it, it can be an instant problem when your cv goes in which is why so many people will change their name happens here if you're from well the indian subcontinent basically if you're asian you'll find people change i've worked with people who have changed their names to so davinda becomes dave you know for example because it, it it just represents a step closer to being familiar and it's yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's it's a shame in a way that that's the way that the, our culture has, has become it's almost i think a lot of the a lot of it is unconscious though isn't it i think it's an unconscious sort of bias where i don't think people would outwardly say no i would never do that but i think um and i and i i think everybody may be I don't know, like guilty of it or, or you can't really help it. But, you know, they, when, when from studies you look into and, and, and where they study our culture, this stuff does, this stuff does happen. Well, I mean, I, I put a motion to full council about um, anti-racism and that kind of dovetails with um, Dee Besant's work on We Stand Together. Mm. Um, and that it's really important that a council puts itself on record. You know, the councillors put themselves on the record as where they... And this was at the height of the Black Lives Matter activity. And so it's really important that you put yourself on the record about where, even if you go, yeah, well, of course we're diverse, of course we support all this stuff, you have to say, you know, put a statement out publicly, a, a motion where the full council supports, that's what we will do, and this is how we will do it. Um, so, yeah, it's really something that, you, you know, you have to be prepared to 
you know have a sort of a badge that that's how you're going to do it yeah so so what when you put something to full motion to council what's the process there i saw on the website that you do a monthly full meeting uh, and has that been over Zoom during the during the lockdown crisis? Yeah, so we so council meetings are quarterly, but there are always committee meetings, and there are group meetings okay. that happen on a uh, a monthly basis. Um, so yeah, the the legal process of a council adopting policy is by going to full council. So it's, it's legally binding, basically. So you take them to full council because voted through in the majority. That is what the council will do. It's it's a legal requirement once you've done that. That is local democracy happening right there. And it can be quite quite complicated because someone might, it might be a, a five points in a motion and someone doesn't like point four. So they put an amendment in that says in point four, it should also say this or take point two out because I don't agree with that. And then you debate the motion. So you debate the amendment to the motion and then you debate the substantive motion and it all, people get, I get lost actually. People get lost in, in all of that happening, but it is important because it's legally binding. And you have, you know, I'll have a sheet that I have to look at, but right, okay, we're here, and now we're gonna do this, right? Great, now and then it's gonna mean that. And yeah. do I agree with that? Yes, I do, okay, great. You know, and that's so you're you're actually like you see when they debate in parliament and vote, you, it's a similar process you go through where you are making that, you know, the 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 thing that you are legally obliged to do. So I guess you do you sort of just try and choose maybe a, a couple, two or three things that you know you're like, this is what I feel strongly about and I'm going to sort of speak up and then I'm going to leave the other pieces to people more qualified to speak about it? Yeah, well, so we when we talked before, we talked about the committee system, so yeah. um, which I'll come to in a minute. But the way that works is you've got policy committees that work with different things, uh, different topics, and the chair and vice chair of each of those will sit down with the council officers and look at the forward plan, the, the corporate plan of what it is we said we wanted to do. And there'll be motions to council from those committees, which say, we know we need to vote on this to make it concrete. And so that is the way a lot of the business gets done. But you'll get people like me or others who are interested in an issue and they want to bring that to council and they want to, they want that to go in as well as all of the kind of business of the day. So that, that's how that works. Um, shall I talk about the committee system? Because it is yes, a- please. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, so most councils will have, um, typically, I think the most common governance, right, the way that you structure yourself, is what they call a leader and cabinet model. So a bit like the prime minister and his cabinet, which he yeah. picks. Um, they will have a, a group of people who are the executive lead for a certain area, whatever that might be, and then the leader. And they basically, they, they effectively decide everything. And you get to be you know leader by having a majority of councillors. And so the idea is that, for example, the Conservatives at Surrey, they have a majority, they pick a leader, he picks a cabinet, that all gets put through for council, and all the Conservatives are expected to vote the way they've been told to vote, because that's what they do. <coughs> we don't have that. We have a committee system. So the idea is that it's more open, and the debate is more um, transparent, and instead of decisions just going to a small group of people, it goes to each of these topics. So, for example, we've got strategy and resources, which is mostly about finance. Um, we've got environment and safe communities, which is climate change, car parks. It could be antisocial behaviour. We have community and well-being, which is about um, housing and venues and community centres and that kind of thing. And then we have licensing and planning policy, which is about licensed premises and the policies that we have for if you want to build something, for example. Those are the four main policy committees, plus you've got the planning committee, which is regulatory. So every planning application that goes in that's above a certain size has to be debated there. So that system means that you actually get to see, you know, you can show up, now you can watch these these um, broadcasts and see the item being brought to that group of people. Usually it's 10, planning is 13, and they will debate it and they will discuss it. Sometimes they'll argue about it and then they'll have a vote and it'll either be accepted or not. So that is a much more open way of seeing how decisions are made yeah. and something is just passed to a group and they go, yes. <laughs> yeah, it says something about whipped, whipped to party line. Uh, is, right. is some, is, is, and that would be what, you know, what Boris or someone would essentially do and say, well, this is what we think and you're all expected to just totally agree with that regardless of what your constituents may be saying. Is that right, sort so of the whip, yeah. So parties have whips and, and that means that people are... Um, you know, cajoled, perhaps intimidated, or um, offered things in exchange for voting for something that perhaps they don't like, or that their constituents don't like. So because I'm not a member of a party, 
and because you can't be whipped i like it there's no whipping there's yeah. no there's no, someone doesn't come to me and go right alex so you've got a really important vote coming up and you're not going to like it remember that time you said something stupid yeah. in the newspapers if you don't vote for us that doesn't happen yeah or you know if you vote for this then that thing that you really want will um you know we'll make sure that happens for you that none yeah. of that happens because we're not we don't have that structure and because it all goes through that scrutiny process at committee so you can all look each other in the eye and see who said yes and no. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I guess it may be on the national level, just to go slightly off topic, it's when you say we're going to get that thing done for you, it's not necessarily like a personal favour, is it? Is it more like we'll help, we'll, you know, you, you, the people in your area wanted this doing, like we'll, we'll let that happen and you'll make sure you get back in power next year. It's famous, it's famous, isn't it? It's um, any of any that, kind. Whether that yeah. person might want or not want to happen, a whip will make uh, an agreement that they'll do their best to make it happen or not happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we don't have that. And that's, that's that. the other side of that is that that makes it very hard because we don't have a party line and we aren't told what to say or do, but that means you have to spend a lot more time getting people to agree what they do want. So we're an unruly bunch, really, over here at Epsom. <laughs> yeah, so what's the atmosphere in a meeting? Because is, is, is it biscuits and juice or, or you know, or is, is, can it get quite pressurised? It, it, it depends. I mean, right now we are going through a generational change, right? So I'm, I'm Gen X, okay? And most of the councillors will be baby boomers. And then there's a handful that are Gen Y. Um, and that means that and Gen X is quite a small um, generation, as I'm constantly finding out um <laughs> you've got very very different life experiences from people who've had a job for life and a wicked final salary pension retired at 55 and um you know came from a really different world to people who are perhaps in low-paid jobs struggling to get you know a good career yeah. and no chance for pension trying to get on the housing ladder all that kind of stuff totally different experience of what life is and growing up in an environment where things like diversity and all the rest of all, all of the issues, all of those kind of you know liberal issues, are just normal. Just yeah. accepted, just they're just normal. They're, they've never been fought over or been controversial. It's just life now. Yeah. And so you have a really really different group of, of people, you know, and they all have to sort of find a way through where they have to agree what they want to do. Yeah. And so it is quite a lot of a lot of work. So we so here's the process. You'll have the um, <coughs> group of resident association councillors will meet. 30 yeah. um, we'll go through what it is that is coming up and you find out early on if people don't like it right? you don't wait until the vote to see if someone really doesn't like something you, you know you and if a lot of people go I really don't like that you've got to go back and change it or you've got to find a way to say what what do we do to this policy that people will will support it so you have you just it's a longer run-up you know there's more time spent on thinking about actually what do you want to do so Hopefully you get less mistakes. I mean, there's a great example of um, Surrey County Council wanted, a, wanted the unitary council. <coughs> One council for the whole of Surrey, no boroughs. 11 boroughs just get ripped up and absorbed. I remember that, yeah. And there was you know, the government that said they wanted devolution, they wanted reform, and they, they were going to publish a white paper. Surrey just went for it in a few months, spent loads of money, said we're going to do it, it's just going to happen. It's just happening. Okay, this is happening. Everyone, shut up! It's going to happen. When was this? Uh, was this? Sorry, this was like couple... this was last year. This yeah, was I remember. From, yeah, yeah. From summer to autumn last year, and of course, everyone was furious in the boroughs. I don't think I've ever seen all eleven borough leaders agree. Uh, you know, all the eleven boroughs that are in Surrey all say, yeah. and they wrote to the minister and said, "No way." Yeah. And and it all fell apart, and the minister had to say, "Well, we're not going to pursue this," and the leader of Surrey County Council had to say. You know, it, it's it's off. There's a debate actually on the 18th of March, or a leaders' meeting on the 18th of March, where the petitioner, Councillor Hannah Dalton, um, got over 5,000 people to sign something saying they didn't want it, and she gets three minutes, and Tim Oliver gets however much time he has. Where they're going to talk about all of this, which will be so. Do look out for that. Yeah. But what happens when one person just goes, "I want this," and tells his cabinet, "We're going to do it," and they go, "Right, it's happening," and then no one else supports it. You can spend loads of time and money and anguish on something and it doesn't happen because you didn't really consult properly, you know? So I like to think that with a committee system and with independent politicians, 
you're not just going to follow a party line. You're not just going to go to a meeting and nod it through. You're actually going to go through a process where you open it up much more. Welcome to the second song of Wayne Music. This one is UCA student Eleanor Hobby. She's actually from Farnham UCA, but she sent this in to me and I couldn't not play it. crazy example of of the the, the the people sort of not not ref, well, refusing to uh, to allow power to sort of run everything and i guess would you say that england were probably in one of the best countries in the world for that um in terms of having our say because everybody sort of likes to talk about free speech and somebody put it to me the other day that like free speech doesn't mean you can just say whatever you want when you want to whoever it means that you can criticize power essentially without without being thrown in prison so there's two, that's, that is a very, very interesting point. There's two parts to that. Firstly, the ability, yes, to criticise decision makers without consequences, in a, in a, within certain limits, of course. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you can't go after people and you know, try and threaten them. But yeah, you can say, I, I really don't agree with that and I'm going to have a protest march. However, so that kind of um, populist, that petitioning, right, that lobbying, that side of it. However, the when it comes to... Um, participation and representation we're, we're, we are easily the worst in Europe and one of the worst in the Western world because we have so for example there's a really good table that I saw in a report that uh, a politics professor put together with this unitary debate that we just talked about um, and it shows how many um, at what local levels you have politicians and how many people each one is responsible for so the what's called electors per member right so, for example, on average, where I am, I'm responsible for 1,551 electors in Ruxley Ward. On average, yeah. three councillors, four and a half or 4,600 people who are registered to, who are able to vote. And so, on average, I've got 1,550 people that I am responsible for representing. Okay. Go to France, it's more like, you know, two or 300 per person, 400 per person. Germany, equally. The Scandies, you know, um, Scandinavians, very, very similar. You go to places like Spain and the villages, it can be even lower. So, um, and where where we are, we're actually fairly low. You can go to some parts of the country where it's 4,000, go to a unitary council like Cornwall, four, 5,000 people per politician for, for at a local level, right? So that's really, really different. 
So your ability to access me as your local representative, yeah. and you've got elbow of fifteen hundred other people out of the way to get up the queue because we get lots of correspondence. That'd be different, wouldn't it? If it were three hundred people, you'd have a lot more exposure, a lot more time to and FaceTime and attention to pursue the things that are important to you. And so, I th- so we're really different in that respect. And I think they they're trying to implement sort of computers instead of um, getting people with people. I had a stint working for Westminster Council just on the phones, <laughs> dealing with people that were needing repairs or people that needed um, some kind of assistance on their home. And how it you how it worked before was that they would have a housing manager on their block, and they would all equally be able to report to their housing manager, speak to them, and and they would deal. And the housing manager knew every individual. But basically, they'd, into, they'd, in, they'd brought in this new system where you had to call up, you put it in, it went into a computer system, that went through a process, it went to the right person. But it was, it, I don't know if it was because it was new or it was just flawed, but the system wasn't working for these people. And I was dealing with ladies, 80 years old, hadn't had a toilet for four days. But because of the system they, that they were trying to implement, and this might have just been a bad program, you're probably good to speak on this, but um, it, it didn't... It, 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 Over the year. Uh, it would have been four years ago, so 2017, maybe 2018. This will make me laugh. I was working at Westminster City Council in 2017, 2018. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was, so I was, I was working in digital there. CityLink, I think, was it? Um, that sounds right. So yeah. I remember when the, we're going to go off topic, I can see it, but when the Housing Association was brought back into the council, and um, yeah, a lot of technology, there were problems with it, and there was a big transformation programme and not all of the stuff worked the way it was supposed to work. Yeah, and there was a lot of uh, a lot of hand grenades. Weird. Pain. Yeah, and it was it was painful. I remember it. So so yeah, that, that it's true. Um, and I know why that happened. You know, it's funny because Westminster is the wealthiest council in the whole country. Yeah, and then they then they've had cuts. Imagine what it's like, Epsom and your borough council, where we get ten percent of council tax. Seventy six percent of your council tax goes to Surrey County Council. Um, 14% goes to the um, Police and Crime Commissioner and 10% goes locally. <clears throat> so 10% of what you pay. That's crazy. On. You don't think that at all, do you? you think that it's all... I remember because I've only just moved in and started paying council tax and I'm like, I can't believe like, how much... Well, it's crazy, isn't it? And only 10%. You Well, I mean, so I, I live... We've got a house. I've got a family house and I pay more council tax on my house than the Queen does on Buckingham Palace. <laughs> Because Westminster City Council has got the lowest council tax in the UK. Yeah. And Surrey's got the highest. Even though Epsom's one of the lowest in Surrey, Surrey has the highest. And it's bonkers, isn't it? And you think 76% of that is going all to one place and there are potholes in the roads. You'd think yeah. they'd, be, they'd be filling it in with gold, wouldn't you? But they're not. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you're, so what happens is, to, to your point, We've had austerity now for 11 years, effectively. It looks like it's going to get worse, unfortunately. And that means the council budgets, council revenues, the, the grant they get from central government has just gone down and down and down. We now get nothing from government. We get no government grant. And in fact, we had to fight really hard that we didn't go into what's called negative revenue support grant. So we would have to pay government £625,000 a year to exist. Like a ta- We would have to pay them. Yes. They used to give us a few million, and now we have to pay them. Because the way the formula works, it's possible to go into the negative. So whatever business rates or council tax or car parking charges we raise, we have to give a piece of that, you know, like a... Like, like they're the mob. Like, like the they're mob. the mob. And we're... <laughs> just, just so they leave us alone. Yeah. Yeah. So we had to fight really hard to stop that happening. We didn't pay them for the privilege of existing. So what happens when, you know, you lose millions of pounds? Well, I think it's 40% of our budget has gone over the last 10 years. What do you do? You have to automate. You you know you don't have the money to to spend on resources. So there's more and more automation, or you're stuck with really old legacy systems. You know you've got systems that are falling apart because they're you know they're older than some of the people they're serving. Can the organisation of social media act as sort of a combatant to getting the people together? Because I know Zuckerberg's. 2018 manifesto is that by whatever year he wanted 1 billion people to belong to a meaningful community. Um, and now like yeah, things like D, uh, yeah, yeah, as long as it's on Facebook, uh, but as like with D creating what she does, you know, in these sort of atmospheres and, and these, these groups of togetherness where people are generally supporting each other, would it be possible for the council to utilize that um, at all? Do you think, or are they? I think so. But that, so it's like, 
how can I put this? My dad's an 80-year-old electrician. He's never been on the internet. And um, okay. yeah, he's very alive to what it all means. And when um, I talk about Amazon, for example, this is the example. Um, and I'll say, well, there's, people are saying that all these shops are going to shut, people are going to lose their jobs. And he said, but there'll be new jobs. There'll be new jobs, you know, in the factory or driving the lorries or whatever. It's just change. And so that's interesting coming from someone who's of a very different age. Yeah. And that was his attitude was that people don't like change because it, it means that you have to do new things. But it doesn't mean that when you see in the newspapers that a million jobs are lost, that there's there's not a million jobs that could replace them. They'll just be different. You need different skills. And so I think what you're saying about community is that councillors and council officers are going to need different skills yeah. to do that, to operate that. They're going to need different skills because it's not about going to the church hall and having a, you know, like councillor surgeries where you, yeah. you know, someone they will sit in a line and you're at a little fold-up table. That doesn't really exist anymore because it's not practical, um, certainly not at the moment. Um, so people use social media, and it's about understanding how to do that, how to use it, the best ways to use it, how to manage it, how to make sure it doesn't – in the same way that you would manage a physical space and so it doesn't get out of hand if someone loses their head. You yeah. want to manage it on social media, and you want to have things in place that protect you as well so that you don't just get people showing up there and think they can attack you anonymously and, and make your life a misery and other people's life a misery. But there's some great examples like the Epsom and Yule Family's Facebook group, like uh, Keep Epsom and Yule Tidy. There's one lady who lives around the corner from me who just just doesn't like litter, picks up litter, has a, a litter-picking kit from the council. We actually issue them for free, a litter-picking kit. And we do, like, coloured and patterned ones for kids. And she's set that up to encourage people to pick up litter in their area, to make it, A, you know, taboo to drop litter, and B, to actually clean it up where you can. And that's incredible that someone's just yeah. going head first with that and that the council's able to facilitate it. Yeah, and, and I guess social media, like as you say, does give a bit more power to the individual. Even though it's becoming quite saturated, they can set up a project and, and anybody can technically see it if they understand how to use and utilize it, which I guess maybe people coming from my generation are having an idea of. Um, but I guess equally, though, they're, they're also a lot more in tune on how to just pursue other social media pursuits that have nothing to do with the area and getting connected all around the world. So I don't think it might necessarily... It, 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 it still comes down to whether the person's interested in community or not, basically, doesn't it, yeah. at the end of the day? And and I guess the the idea is how do, how, how, how do you... How do you get through to people that it's important? Because I know in other countries that I've traveled to and been to, the kids like Germany, for instance, they're all very politically and locally um, like interested. You know, there always seems to be people are quite like into values and they're into the, the dynamic of their local area. Whereas I think sometimes around, especially around Epsom, if I'm honest, it, it really just doesn't seem to be on the mind of the, the younger generation at all. It seems to be more um, swayed towards culture uh what they're what they're wearing and uh and you know and what how and how their instagram page is looking that's not a criticism of everyone at all but i think that does seem to be that is the way we are geared and somebody put it to me sort of the other day which moves me on to my next point was that you said to me the other day if you're a poor person in a richer area then you're kind of invisible and uh, my, my friend said to me he said the thing is about certain areas is that there's always a pursuit of going up a class, maybe rather than sort of accepting accepting where you are. And do you think that? Yeah, so do you think that? Great, that is a great statement, and it's, it completely lines up with something I heard well, maybe a year or two ago. So my wife's American, so I hear a lot about American politics. Can't escape it. Um, yeah, no um, one can. <laughs> and I, there was a question in an article I read that why would you vote for Donald Trump if you're living in poverty? what's going on there? What's the mechanism? This guy's a billionaire. He rips people off and he rips people off like you. Like he, you are exactly where he wants you. Why would you vote for him? And the argument was that people who are poor don't see themselves as poor. They see themselves as just waiting for that break, right? One day I'm going to make it. I'm going to get there. And we're yeah. going to get out of this. And it's the aspiration. Look at this guy. He's doing really well. I want that. And he says that I can get that too. And that's what emotes people to vote in that way. So, yeah, it's really interesting that pe people, particularly in, I think, Britain and America, <clears throat> perhaps less so in, to some extent in Europe, perhaps slightly less so, <coughs> people are very aspirational, right? They want to be successful and they want to do well. And so they look at, identify with things that look like success 
and look like you know appearing successful and they want a piece of that they're less interested in the drudgery of <laughs> you know little community yeah. halls and yeah. our and and that kind that that's what it feels that's what local politics feels like to people yeah it's not going to be very interesting it's all a bit dull and hard work and then we're not going to get anything out of it but end, it ends for me in in a veneer of of I'm living this certain lifestyle, and then we uh, everybody sort of just pretends what that pretends that I don't it's know. The I, Lewis, it's the matrix. It is. It is essentially the matrix, isn't it? But it, it just feels very. It feels very strong. It feels very strong. I think what you said with Trump as well. Um, a, a big a big case of it is that Trump understands his followers. I think, and he understands, like you said, the wants and the needs. He also understands how to utilize social media, you know, so there'll be things. Uh, there was this big thing about the Mexican race um, that uh, suddenly decided to vote for Trump. And it's because I think they, they will they know how to get the right information to the right people. And where we all live in echo chambers and, we, you know, for instance, I might be into football. So my Twitter feed is only ever football. You might be into um, certain ideologies. So you only ever see certain ideologies come up in your screen. But when, for instance, when you get on the train yeah, and you see everybody on their phone, on their screen, they're all living in completely different worlds that has been perfectly tailored to, and targeted to the way they think and um it sort of doesn't allow much of an expansion and, and, and a, a connection whereas maybe the community town hall did before well it's scary like i so i grew up again talking about being well i was born in 1976 so that means that i'm one of the very small kind of pieces of a generation that grew up before everyone had a computer so i remember my mum coming home with a zx spectrum when i was seven with rubber keys. And that was the first time I'd seen a computer in real life. Um, and I was in my teens for the internet because it wasn't freely, freely available as a teenager before I discovered that there was an internet because it was only yeah. a few years old. Um, and so for me, it's really interesting having lived before, during and after all of that. And <clears throat> something weird happened in the early 2000s when I think when social media came along and <clears throat> and it all became, it was all very exciting. <clears throat> the early days were of the web and social media were just all about excitement. That's why I wanted to work in it. And then something weird happened in the sort of 2010s where everything seems, as you say, like a filter bubble. Everyone seemed to get kind of categorized yeah. and put in pigeonholes. And instead of it bringing people together, it keeps people apart. And I find that quite scary that you can, there can be someone who's just furiously angry with you about something and you've no idea why. Because yeah. you're not having the same shared experience. No, they've they've been fired up by something you've never seen. And that it happened. It happened yesterday to me. So obviously, with the unfortunate event of the lady being taken in Clapham over the weekend, and uh, social media blew up. Um, and I've actually got Kira coming back on the show on Monday, who is part of the Epsom Women and Girls Network, now called War and Women, to come and explain sort of to cut down on the noise because I I belong to group chats where every every man everyone well some people are going. Why is it always us? What have we done? How can you compare my experience to rapists and murderers? And I understand that. And I riled up and I went home to my girlfriend, who's sort of ultra feminist, really, and very strong in her opinions. And I was riled up. I was going, why are we getting blamed for all this? Like this? And then she just cut me down like big time. But then because I got to hear her and what she was saying, and then there's just this constant sort of um, just a, a, this, the perfect example of what you just said. People are angry. I came in angry at the idea that a woman, tech, realistically, what these women are asking for is to not feel unsafe when they're walking around at night. I come in angry at that opinion. And if somebody said that to me, I'd gone, no, I don't, I don't think that women should be scared. But because of the way that we're all getting our realities warped and nobody's being clear cut of what they're saying, you end up getting angry at, a, at, um, at an enemy that doesn't even realistically exist. And I don't think it's actually, it, it's, I think you're in early fault of social media where the where the algorithm, this is my very basic knowledge of it, hasn't quite been done right yet. Well, it's interesting because <clears throat> a friend of mine sent me something and said, have you seen this? Google's not going to track cookies anymore. It's not going to track you across the web. Yeah. And I, it doesn't really, didn't really explain why they're not going to do that anymore. But my guess is that they know that privacy and trust are going to be the big um big quality indicators in future. Apple, for example, has from the beginning said, we will never track what you do. We're never ever going to breach your privacy. We're not interested in, in what you do, where you go, how you all the rest of it. That, that is completely encrypted and locked up. Whereas Google have built a whole business on it. And I, I feel like Google have seen the future. They're going to lose market share. They're going to have people going, 
I don't want to be, I don't want a phone or an operating system or a browser that knows everything about me and passes that on at a cost to advertisers and who knows who else. And I think that that's really interesting. And that, for me, if that begins to become more normalised, it's the beginning of the end for a lot of what you just described there. Because if you can't gather data on people, you can't target them, you can't build platforms and groups which appeal to them because you don't know what appeals to them as a you know big evil corporation, um, then, then it hopefully starts to disaggregate a lot of that experience where people are having to make their own curate their own decisions rather than being told you like what you've what you've said is really reassuring i think for me and for many people the fact that you know that i don't that that maybe corporations do have to answer to the general consensus so it kind of does make sense to keep pushing and understand that what they're doing with the data and but also understand it's not as evil and crazy as everyone thinks it is it's not like there's just they're tracking everything that you ever do for for some dark reason my, my big one was i had a thought like shower thought they call it on reddit uh recently that um what if google were just tracking everything we were saying in order to formulate like a, an ai you know like so they were just like studying human conversation studying the way that we communicate and then trying to implement that into a program to create like a, a, a conscious machine well that that's interesting because and i do watch a lot of those sort of youtube videos and podcasts that discuss that kind of stuff yeah. The one really scary thing that comes out of that is that any in the history of this planet, in the history of our civilization or of species or evolution, whatever you want to call it, um, whenever something smarter comes along, it destroys the next smartest thing. It, you know, just so you look at sapi- Homo sapiens, there were six species of human um, at one point, and there's only one. And everyone else, you know, the silver medal means you don't exist anymore. Gone. You are outcompeted by whoever wins, whoever's the, the smartest, the best, the most adaptable, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and so the scary thing about building ever more um, capable AI, uh, when you mix that with robotics, you, know, you get into a very Black Mirror type scenario yeah, cool. of a sort of super race of machines that will look at us and go, you're a problem. How do you solve it? They're trying to get AI to solve climate change. Do you know what AI will tell you? Get rid of all the humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You guys are doing it. (laughs) The dangerous thing is training AI on social media because it often shows the worst of people. And in fact, if what you really want is to teach AI to be kind, if you teach AI, you know, to be empathetic and kind, then you're building something that hopefully won't exterminate you. you (laughs) And that's just. That's just the way I see it. That you know, if you're yeah. building these things, you have to build them in a way that thinks about what they'll do and what happens next. It would essentially create like a harmonious relationship between machine and human, where it would, we would we'd sort of look out for each other. You know, like yeah, we'll we'll keep you switched on if you you know if if you sort of keep keep us at a low level, keep us calm, keep us happy. I'm writing a I'm writing a short book at the moment. I'm attempting to write one, and I've I've officially called it Glebe Corp. But don't worry, I think I'm going to change that about um about. Two, two races, dreamers and non-dreamers. And, and the dreamers get to live in a world where at night they can plug into something and live out their wildest fantasies. And, and they have total control of that. The issue is that they have to live that alone. They can't join into a joint dream world. The, the non-dreamers live outside the periphery of the city and they um, maintain the food and they do the farming on, on the big robots and look out. And, and obviously the ways they live are completely different. And, and the big thing about the dream world is that when people live within the cities and they choose to uh, commit themselves to these dreams and they, they do things called dream streams where they can stream their dreams and other people can tune in. And it's sort of this exchange of everybody's uh, sort of silently agreeing to live a dream life and, and be quite into it. Um, but it, it runs very smoothly. It's very smooth. Nobody's got any issues because everybody's into their dream. You know, everybody's sort of turning up to work. They don't question it on, on the basis they get promised that end of night fantasy. But obviously there's a lot of issues that come with it. Um, and I wonder if this sort of like AI style world will will create this sort of silent, silent where we'll become slightly obedient. But also it would it would actually, if you looked at us, from a microscope from above we're actually running quite smoothly if you know what i mean it would just be a different experience for the human well i mean you've you i know you like to read but you've described you know elements of ready player one of all the time yeah. brave new worlds yeah and of the eloy and the morlocks in the time machine you know where there's that terrifying symbiotic relationship between the two 
And I think it's interesting to take that idea, as you've said, into somewhere else where it's about almost a virtual reality that that is a, a open for people type relationship, you know, where you are kind of like you get this release every night. Yeah, I think I think I think it, it, it's it's sort of yeah. I've read those books, and I think it's like more you know it's more of a reality now than it was back then. Maybe Ready Player One's quite it's quite modern and new, isn't it? So you can understand it. But I think for now we're starting to see the realities between it. But cool, we've gone right off topic from <laughs> onto the sci-fi. You can edit out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I'm I'm happy with it. So um, we, I mean, we've got ten minutes left, so just we might as well explore what like what what is your favorite what is your favorite books or your favorite movies. I've got I mean, my bookshelves behind me here. Yeah. Got a lot of stuff on it. Um, a lot of it unread, sadly. Um, so this one, I think I recommended to you, was really yeah. in Guns, Germs and Steel. It's about biogeography and how did we get where we are. Um, and then there's a slightly more modern version of that, I guess, yeah. which tells a story in different ways, Sapiens. Um, yeah. so I, I find myself reading a lot more fact-based stuff these days. Um and that's a shame because fiction does different things to your brain. I mean, that's been been proven that reading fiction is a very different experience to reading fact. Right now I'm reading this, which it was recommended me to me by a friend, London the Novel. And it's about going right the way back to London being founded 2,000 years ago. All the way up to the modern day, it follows the lives of these six families from the very beginning and what happens to them. And, and it kind of jumps ahead a few hundred years. And is a definitely a good recommendation. It's a crazy read, and how all these kind of families intermix and what their fortunes go up and down. If you like that kind of stuff, it's brilliant. Yeah. If you like something a bit more completely off the wall, magical realism by a Russian author, The Master and Margarita. This is the book that um, Mick Jagger read and then wrote Sympathy for the Devil. Christ. And it's it's just a. I mean, here's the here's what it says on the back. One hot spring, the devil arrives in Moscow accompanied by two demons, a beautiful naked witch, and a huge black cat with a fondness for chess and vodka. When the visitors leave, the asylums are full, and the forces of law and order are in disarray. And it's just, what was that then? It goes on a bit. But it's just, it said, I'm not going to spoil it if you are reading more, but it's just a mad, mad book. That's um, good. I think that's an interesting point. Fiction. Fic- why, why do you think fiction is so important for the individual to read? It takes you somewhere else, doesn't it? It's, it's yeah. like your <clears throat> like your dream streams. It takes you to a different world. Um, and I, I once one of the funniest things I've read about reading, someone said, essentially, reading is staring at pieces of dead tree and hallucinating. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't heard and that one. It's your imagination just going off into the world that's been created by someone else as you read what they've written. And it can make you walk down the street, in my opinion. And I do think uh, reading, I've got so many friends that I wish I, could, I wish I was reading. And this is serious. Everyone, I read a lot. They call it the Blueberry because I'm always lending out my books and no one ever reads them or anything like that. And um, I'm always like, and they go, I know I should read. I know I should read it. But I just, and I'm going, listen, if you read this and you walk down the street, your whole experience of the walk down the street is insane. And the, 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 the other thing is you can't call it. But you can't you can't put yourself in what that book is going to do to you without doing it. Whereas if you open up your social media and see a continuation of the same narrative that you might have been seeing for the past five years now, you, you, there's there's sort of little, no no reason there's a, no wonder why you might become a bit bored and like dull with everything. Well, yeah, because that sort of communication is very one dimensional. It becomes all about the surface, and when you if you meet even if it's online, for example another person, another couple of people who are talking about something deep inside a book that you've read and that joy it gives you to be able to join that conversation, some idea or some possibility or some joke or whatever it is that you're able to participate in and and join and think about and transform and make into something else because you've shared that experience. That that is unique. I think that's really extraordinary. And And it's different because with a film, you're consuming someone else's imagination. Whereas with a book, it's what you projected onto it. Like people will get different things from a book. With a film, yeah. not so much. Sometimes, but not so much. The film, you're essentially viewing someone else's stream. From from what I was saying, you know, you're see that you're you're viewing their interpretation of the story. But whereas when you read, you you formulate your own. You know, the words are going into your mind, and you're making sense of them. So I love I love to see jokes about parallel experiences so for example there's a tv show called how i met your mother i don't know if you're familiar with it and neil patrick harris plays against type a really kind of ridiculous over-the-top character 
And one of the things that, one of the jo- ongoing jokes is that he sees the film The Karate Kid completely differently. And he doesn't think Daniel LaRusso is the hero. He thinks that um, Johnny, Johnny Lawrence is the hero. Because yeah. when he, and then he goes back through the whole narrative of that film and says, but look at what actually happened. He stole his girlfriend, he trashed his bike, he did all this stuff to him. Caught him and and that, that is where Cobra Kai, the TV series, came from. That joke about seeing it for a completely different end of the telescope. Yeah. He yeah. just sees it differently. And I think that's, and I know, I know it's not a book, but I think that's brilliant that you can have that experience where someone will look at the same thing and go, I saw it completely differently. That's awesome. That's a really that's a, it's a really good one to end on. I really think that's a we we we've, that's we've really true got politics too. Huh? <laughs> true of politics and government too. Well, depend depends what end of the mic telescope you're looking through. Yeah, 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 very much so. yeah. yeah. Oh, um, and it depends where you're viewing that telescope from. I think what position you're sitting as well. Um, Alex. Anyway, thank you. This has been a really really great podcast. We've we've. we've gone through quite a lot of things and i think it's been really powerful so thank you you well thank you for having me on um you talked about the um if you are poor in an affluent area emotionally yes visible. yes we i know we've talked about the possibility of doing more on that but let's let's see if we can because i've got a lot to say about that and that's a whole other conversation Ooh, a whole other conversation indeed but we'll save that for a live stream which you can find on the why aren't you normal Epson facebook page i have um I'm, well i have planned to go on one with alex it will probably be around the time that this goes out so you might have you might have just seen this live stream and then come over to listen to this if you did fair play to you thanks for sticking around and listening to our voices so much if you didn't and you fancy some more just head on over there look thank you so much um for listening to this podcast i really appreciate it with it's for me a platform for epsom for its growth for its diversity you know for for the future that's coming up to us in all different ways that the, the lockdown technology advancements we know it's coming and we live in this as we said in this the second richest borough outside of london so to think activity is not going to go on here seems seems silly what probably does need to be highlighted though is as we just end on there is poor people in richer areas generally go invisible and i think that may be down to a lack of sense of community and that's what this podcast is also trying to achieve with it so yeah support 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 thank you very much and uh, i'll see you next time